0: Bibles to Galatians, the final chapter of Galatians, Galatians chapter six. We're going to look there. Um, I had a look uh, this week, just how long we've been looking at Galatians, and it's been over a year that I've been preaching through this book, and um, we've been looking at the freedom that we have in Christ. And for, for those of you that are, are, are visiting, that's been the journey of this church for the last year or so. And the, the title of my, of my message this morning is simply this: the only thing that counts, the only thing. That counts and we're going to have a look at the last seven verses of chapter 6 so if you want to read with me from verse 11 uh, we're going to go through to verse 18 and here Paul again writing uh, this letter says these words see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand so he's obviously had a secretary he's had a scribe That has been uh, transcribing what he's been saying and now he takes the pen himself and he says can you see with what large letters I'm writing to you now in my own hand this is his own handwriting and then he says these these words it's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they might boast in your flesh. Then they, these magnificent words But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. Uncir- but a new creation. The only thing that counts is being a new creation. That's what he's saying. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy upon them and upon the Israel of God, which is the church, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and your spirits, in your spirits, brothers. Amen. And he concludes his letter. So let me say by way of introduction have you not found it strange, and yet at the same time it's not really strange, that the more that you walk with Jesus, the more mature you become as a Christian, the less worthy you feel about being a child of God? Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, It seems the closer that you get to Jesus, It's true that the more of His character rubs off on you, but it's also at the same uh, time, the more we see the beauty of Jesus, the more obvious and the more ugly our own sin becomes. (coughs) Have you noticed that? Well, I was reminded of that many times when we were going through the renovation of our building because I'm not a handyman and we've just um, redone our coffee shop there, as you know. But there was always dust everywhere. And what I felt I could do was to take a broom regularly and help to sweep. And so that's what I did. I swept as much as I could. And, uh, and it was a funny feeling because as I was sweeping on that black um, floor, uh, you could see an increasing pile of dirt gathering and I felt good. I felt a sense of, yes, I'm doing something. And at the same time, the light would come through the window and I would see still how much dust was everywhere and how much dust was in the air. And so there's this kind of funny sense. You you you're sweeping and you're seeing a growing pile of dust and you put it in a pan, you throw it away, and the next day we came and there was dust everywhere. Well, what's my illustration is this that's a very good reminder, it's a poignant reminder of what it means to be a Christian, what the Christian life is like. Because we belong to Jesus. We walk with him. We celebrate the new creation. We've been born again. The whole of our lives has been renovated. It's 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 not even had a makeover. It's had a makeover, but it's born anew. It's completely anew. And and yet as we walk in the light of Christ, what we see is in the light of His glory, we still see the dust. We still see the remnant of sin. We still see how much still needs to change in our lives. And so, if you are a Christian, you live with a mingling sense of joy and remorse at the same time. That's how you walk as a Christian. 2 Corinthians 3.18 If we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we really are being transformed from one degree of glory to another into the likeness of Christ. That's what 2 Corinthians says. That's absolutely true. And so we rejoice in the grace of God. His kindness. We rejoice in fellowship with Jesus, with each other, with His mercy. But we also grieve at the same time at our recurrent failure to walk exactly as Jesus wants us to walk. There's a great American preacher called um, Jonathan Edwards and he said it amazingly. He said it like this. The desire of every saint, however earnest, is a humble desire. Our hope is a humble hope. And our joy, even when it is unspeakable and full of glory, is humble, broken-hearted, and leaving a Christian more poor in spirit, more like a little child, and more disposed to universal lowliness in his behavior. What's he trying to say? We live with the sense of joy at all that God has done, and at the same time, there's a sense in us so much still needs needs to change and become more and more like his son. And so what I'm saying by way of introduction is that for the last year and a bit, we've been looking through this um, letter of Paul's and our trust. For you, it has been a rich experience. It has been a rich experience for me. You know, one of the one, wonderful things about preaching regularly and preaching through a book like this is how much it changes you as the preacher, how much you have to grapple with God's Word for your own life. I found it incredibly refreshing. But it is right as we come to this, at the end of the series, For me as the one who's had the greatest measure of the preaching um, load to ask a question what should I look for in people as evidence that the Word of God is bearing fruit it's a very simple question I need to ask it for myself all this preaching that I've done over the last year what evidence is there that that word is bearing fruit in your life and in my life how do we measure uh, I could ask it another way. How do we measure growth and change in any church community? Well, I read an article this morning uh, in, my, in my devotion by a guy called R. Kent Hughes um, who had led the same church for 40 years. He's just retired. He's an older guy. Led the, the, the same church for 40 years just outside Chicago. And someone asked him the question, what is the biggest change in pastoral ministry that you've seen during your lifetime? And how should younger Men, younger pastors, navigate all the changes that um, you've seen. And so he answers in this way. He says, I've seen the question answered by many others in a more extensive and buttoned-up way, but in the simplest terms, the seductive siren song of the old church growth growth movement were managerial studies of homogeneity, in other words, the same group of people, location, parking, and good PR said, so that's what they used to say. You want your church to grow and change? That's what you need. Big parking lot, same kind of people, all one group of people, all the same. Big, uh, good PR. And then he carries on. He says, the new siren song that people sing of today is media savvy, style, and ecclesi- ecclesiastical cool. All you need to do is dress right, have a good band, and preach a sermon consisting of bits from the Bible, Bonhoeffer, Bono, and Mother Teresa and they will come. Isn't that true? That's what church has become. It's become largely kind of this very fashionable place where really cool people hang out and uh, have a little bit of philosophy, a little bit of what Bono's done for the world and a little bit of Jesus thrown in. And we have to navigate through that change as as believers. And I want to say to you, for me, primarily, the way that we navigate through all those changes, those things will change all the time. The outward form of church is going to change. And we have to be wise as we navigate through that change. What is the primary thing that we are called to do? We are called to preach the Word of God. We are called to be a praying community. We are called to understand our culture. But in all those things, the Word of God speaks into our culture, and we respond as God's words transforms us from the inside. And so that's really what I'm saying is um, I agree with that, that quote of Hughes on many levels but I want to say, how do we measure change for us in terms of Galatians? I want to say this. I'm not looking, and the Holy Spirit says and warns me, and the Scripture warns me not to look for spiritual perfection, not to look for a people that are proud of their spiritual achievements, not to look of a pe- for a people that are proud of spiritual growth, but to look for people that are been increasingly open to the grace of God, humble to the grace of God, kind, joyful that's the kind of things we measure by. And so there's a clue for us here in these last verses. Paul is saying this is what you should look for to see and to measure change. And he's talking about two mindsets in these old these last uh, verses, two mindsets, and we've talked about these lots And I'm going to mention them again today because this really is the summary of what Paul has been saying through all of this letter. He's been talking about two mindsets. He's saying the one mindset is evil. I want you to throw that off. I don't want you to give into that mindset. The other mindset is what I teach and what I try to live by and I hope that you will get this. That's what Paul is saying. And he says, in fact, he says the second mindset that he wants us to live by, he says it's a rule that he lives by and he says those that are in sync with that rule Receive God's mercy and receive God's joy and God's peace. So how many of you want God's mercy, God's joy, and God's peace? I want it. I want all of that stuff. So then we would be wise to hear what Paul says brings God mercy and joy and peace. Another illustration. Suppose I had the power in myself to offer you anything. And in in this hand, I could offer you The mercy of God to forgive your sins, to give you peace and eternal joy and satisfaction. If you took what I had in this hand, right? In this hand, I could give you everything that the world could offer you. Anything that your heart desires. Money, money, leisure, good health, popularity, successful business acumen, a spouse, good sex, whatever you want. In this hand, except I couldn't give you peace and joy at the same time and forgiveness in, in, in God. What would you choose? It's a good question, isn't it? What would you choose? Well, the Bible puts it this way. It says, what would it profit you if you could have everything that the world had to offer and lose your soul? What would it profit you? And I, I, I put it to you that it's only when we are in a great delusion that we would want to give into that for one moment, and lose God's mercy and peace. So I'm trusting this morning that as we start to conclude Galatians, that the Holy Spirit would help us all to break off any delusion that we might have, to choose, even for a moment, the distraction and the fake stuff that the world would offer and lose God's mercy and peace and joy in our lives. And so verse 16, if you just want to go there with me, it becomes like a, a big billboard. It becomes like uh, those big advertising boards that you see when you drive down the m one into, into, uh, into, into London. And it's a billboard which, 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 which says this, for those of you that would lo- love God's mercy and peace and join your life, look at what this billboard says, peace and mercy upon all those who walk by this rule, says Paul, upon the Israel of God. And so let's just for a moment have a look at what Paul is saying. I've mentioned two mindsets. Here's the first evil mindset that Paul says we must throw off and never give in to. Verse 12 and verse 13. It's those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that would compel you to be circumcised and only in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who receive circumcision do not themselves even keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they might glory in your flesh. Here it is for the last time. The evil thing, the thing that God that Paul is saying we need to throw off with every uh, passion that we have is a legalistic mindset. It is evil. There is nothing that good that comes from legalism. There's nothing good that comes from religion. That's what Paul is saying. And so I want to just once more implore to you, implore you as God's people, identify it and throw it off. Shove it away from yourself as by the power of the Spirit that you don't give in to that sense anymore. And I've tried to over the last Yeah, unpack what that means. What does legalism mean? Legalism means that we live by a moral code. It means that we live by our own system of goodness. It means, by extension, that we put uh, our trust in things like our race, like the language that we speak, like our nationality. And we put pride in those things and we say, those are the things that make us acceptable to God, all that stuff. And Paul is saying, no, none of that stuff makes you acceptable to God. I was a Jew of Jew. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. But all of that stuff I consider rubbish for the sake of Jesus and knowing Him. That's the gospel. Paul is saying, take all that stuff, all, that, all those mindsets that want to draw you that way and throw them off forever. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your language, what country you come from, your accent. None of those things make you acceptable to God. What makes you acceptable to God is the cross of Christ. And he's saying, throw all that off. And he uses, once again, for the last time, he uses the example of circumcision, which for him, in his day, was the most uh, obvious example. And it says, They compel you to be circumcised so that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And verse 13, They desire to have you circumcised that they might glory in your your flesh. This is what legalism (coughs) promises you. It promises you you can avoid pain and that you can achieve fame. This is what I mean. These are the two things that Paul is saying. I don't want you to give in to those things. Don't worry what people think. Don't worry at all about pursuing man's applause, and don't try at the same time to avoid persecution and problems. You see, the cross of Jesus is a it's a stumbling block for everyone, <laughs> particularly for people who, don't have, who can't find the grace to humble themselves before God and before people. You see, what the cross does, what Jesus, the picture of, of the cross of Christ does for us, it strips us naked of our desire, the sense that we, 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 we can cultivate in our lives that somehow we deserve good things. Rather, when we see Jesus on the cross, what we see above all is that we need His mercy and we are completely dependent on His grace. You see, when the love of, of God comes to us through the cross of Jesus, we see what our sin really deserves. It's, it's absolutely impossible to be proud at the foot of the cross. It's impossible. And it's impossible to humble yourself before God at the foot of the cross without letting it offend you and change you. You see, this is another reason why people that are legalists don't like the cross. It's, it's simply it's not only that it humbles us before God, but it also humbles us before other people. What did Jesus say? Except a man take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. What did he mean by that? Well, you can't celebrate the cross of Calvary without joining Jesus on the road to Calvary. And this is what the road of Calvary brings. It brings ridicule. It brings jeering. It brings, brings laughing. It brings mocking from people. <laughs> How can you follow Jesus? How can you be so stupid as to believe that actually He's taken all of your sin upon Himself on the cross? How can you be so naive? That's what our culture tells us, isn't it? Therefore, if you desire the praises of people, if you desire affirmation from other people, you will always be enslaved to their praises and you won't be able to join Jesus on the road to Calvary. And you won't see the fullness of the cross of Christ in your own life. How many haven't you heard say like this, uh, like the Judaizers were saying to Paul, I can't take my stand with Jesus because I'm afraid of what people will think. How many times have you heard that? I, I, really, I really like what, what, what Christians believe, but I, I'm afraid of what other people think. What I want to say to you, if, if we are always afraid of what other people think of us, we will never follow Jesus with all of our hearts. It's part of the price. Follow Jesus with all of your heart and don't care what other people think. We care what our Father in heaven thinks. And so to answer my question, the way that I want to measure that the the fruit of God is being formed in us through His Word is, if I can say this of my own life and if we can say this together as a church, surely if the Word is bearing fruit in our lives, then that mindset of legalism and all that stuff I've been trying to describe to you this morning is slowly being put to death and is no longer having power in our lives then we are growing. Then the fruit is, uh, is coming. If we are no longer worrying about what people think of us, if we're no longer craving the applause of, of other people, but only craving the applause of Jesus, then we are beginning to grow and fruit is coming in our lives. That's the negative thing that Paul is saying, throw off. What's, the, what's the, the thing? The only thing that counts, Paul says, it's this new creation and he's trying to get us to embrace that with all of our hearts. Verse 14 and 15, um, God's peace and mercy belong to those that live by this rule. And then in verse 14, these magnificent words, far be for it from me to glory except in the cross of Jesus by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but only a new creation. That's what Paul is saying. That's the thing that counts above everything is this new creation. What does that mean? Well, I put it to you this morning that the new creation is what is born after we put to death the old mindset of legalism. The old mindset of our natural man that is put to death by the cross. And what comes up after that when we say we are born again, that we experience this new birth, that is the new creation that counts for everything. That's what Paul is saying. That's why he says over and over, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. The old is gone, the new is come. That ability to ask Jesus to come and live in you and to live through you that's what Paul means when he says that's the new creation and Galatians 5 says it again in Christ neither circumcision or uncircumcision is of any value but only faith working through love um, chapter 2 verse 20 I've been crucified with Christ it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me so there's a real sense that when you've been born again when Christ has changed you from the inside, the old ant doesn't live anymore. The old ant is gone. The new ant is that, portion, that part of me that's been born again that is letting Jesus live through me. That is the new creation. And Paul is encouraging us, saying that's the only thing that counts. Walking by faith through love, walking by grace, experiencing forgiveness in your own life so you can extend it to others. That's what really counts. That's the new creation. And so that's why he says, the only thing that I want to boast in is the cross of Jesus. You see, if you know Christ and you're you're just filled with worship because of what He's done for you, if you are a new creation, then it's not that you just agree that Jesus died for sinners. You glory in the fact that Jesus died for sinners. It's not that you just say, Ah, the cross, what a wonderful thing. You boast in the cross and say it's the only thing. It's like when you're young and you have your favorite Christmas present that you want to show to everyone when they come around for Christmas lunch. The first thing you want to show them as the new creation is the cross of Jesus. You want to say, This is what everything hinges on, the cross of Jesus. My life is completely transformed only by this, the cross of Jesus. That's what we glory in. That's what we boast in as new creations. Nothing else. And I want to encourage you this morning to come back to the simplicity of glorying in the cross of Christ and what the cross of Christ has done for you. And Paul, he has a double way of showing that here. In verse 14, he says, "...by the cross the world has been crucified to me, and I have been crucified to the world." He says it in two ways. What does he mean? Well, I think he means something like this. Since I met Jesus, the world has come to look to me as something as worthless, as something that I I don't want to embrace. Uh, it's, It's like the world has been crucified to me compared to what Jesus has done for me. That's why he says, I count everything as lost. It's the same word, crucified. I count everything crucified for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus. That's what he says. He was so swallowed up by the love of Christ that everything that the world offered seemed to pale into significance and was like a dead corpse to him. Uh, Helen and I have been watching this um, detective program called Rizzoli and Isles. Do you know it? It's two woman detectives. It's amazing to me how many heroes now on, on, on all the sitcoms are all ladies. Have you noticed that? The men are kind of really stupid and they're kind of like the sidekicks. And the, so, ladies, you're doing it now, huh? It's really good. <laughs> but Rizzoli and Isles. And she's one of the characters, a detective, and the other character is a medical examiner. So, a murder happens, and they go together, and the one has to find out how the murder was committed, and the other one is the medical examiner who gets evidence from the, the body and says, oh, well, we can have these clues from the body to how the person died. My point is this that um, you get these shots all the time in this. In this of these cadavers, these dead bodies. And so you can see this really very attractive, beautiful girl, ashen faced, dead, white, corpse. Paul says, the world has become like a corpse to me, compared to the knowledge of knowing Jesus. It's a very good picture. A dead, ashen faced body. Did Paul not enjoy the world? I'm sure Paul did enjoy the world. He's making a comparison here. You get the main point of what he's saying? He's saying, compared to what Jesus has done for me, all the beauty of the world, everything good that I can enjoy the world in the world, it all seems like a corpse to me compared to the beauty of knowing Jesus. That's what he's saying. Because of the cross. And then he says it another way, and I won't be much longer. He says it another way. He says, I am crucified to the world. He said, not only is the world crucified to me, but I am crucified to the world. And he says, what he's trying to say is this, when the world looks at me, it sees nothing very attractive either. I'm like a corpse to the world. <laughs> as far as the world con- is concerned, what I do and wh- how I live as for the sake of Jesus and den- deny myself to live for other people, the world thinks that's crazy. The world thinks that I've lost my mind. That's what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 8. We are treated as impostors and yet not true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and yet we live, as punished and yet not killed. As far as the world is concerned, a life devoted to Jesus is a throwaway life. That's what Paul is saying. And I want to put it to you, and this is something that is like an irritation in my spirit. If we are so concerned as Christians to be accepted as celebrities in the world. something is wrong. Something is desperately wrong with the church. If all we are concerned with is being popular with the world outside, then we are the coolest. There's something wrong. The church has never the Church of Jesus has never been concerned with being popular with people. It has always stood on what the, what the Bible has revealed is true. Come on now. Let us never give in to that. Our culture is just full of celebrity. and Now the church must be full of celebrities. Celebrity pastors, celebrity worship leaders. Come on now. Paul was ravished by the love of Jesus. Paul was ravished and utterly held captive by what the cross of Christ had done for him. And so I want to finish by saying this. Are we exalting ourselves or are we exalting Jesus? Verse 16, Paul says this Peace and mercy be upon all who walk by this rule. And um, what he's talking about is the new creation, the new mindset, throwing off of of, uh, those things that I've spoken about this morning. I want to ask us all the question Are we those that are exalting ourselves or are we those that are exalting Jesus and the cross of Christ? Are we truly boasting through our own lives? in what Jesus has done for us through the cross. Here are four contrasts that I want to say are obvious and for us to take a look at in our own lives and examine. Those that exalt themselves desire to make a good show in religious ritual, in religious outward forms because they crave what people think. They crave what people say. They crave the praises of men. But those that exalt Jesus and exalt the cross regard human applause as a pile of garbage compared to the pleasure of knowing Jesus. That's what Paul says. I'm just quoting the scripture: Galatians 1:10, Ephesians 6, 6. They are more concerned about pleasing God than they ever are about pleasing people. That's the first comparison. Secondly, those that exalt themselves fear persecution and rejection from men far more than they cherish the cross of Jesus. But those that glory in the cross, those that glory in what Jesus has done, expect and accept challenge and persecution from the the world because the world crucified Jesus. We don't look for it, but we expect it. If they kill Jesus, they're not going to like what we have to say, are they? In fact, this is what Paul says, and this is my major objection to celebrity Christianity. (laughs) This is my major objection. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, those that exalt Jesus don't fear people. We, those that exalt Jesus truly believe that Christ is their refuge and their very great reward. Thirdly, those that exalt themselves regard outward forms of religion like circumcision or like religious lifestyle or dressing in a certain way or observing a whole lot of rules to prove that we are, are uh, acceptable to God. They, they, they think those are the essence of religion of a religious life. Those that know Jesus and exalt Him, they regard the inner new creation as the essence of everything. What God is doing on the inside of you is the most important thing. You see, if we we continue to exalt ourselves and to um, lift ourselves up, we can clean up the outside of our lives without taking the root of pride out of the inside. I've said this before. We're living in a world right now where people can blow up people in the name of all sorts of religions without even addressing on the inside of their lives issues of pride, arrogance, hate. How is that possible? Because religion always addresses the outside form rather than the heart. God calls us all to change from the inside out. You've heard me say that so many times, you probably to give it. Lastly, for those that exalt themselves, they try and do away with the stumbling block of the cross to ignore it or to sidestep the implications that the cross has for their lives. Why is that? Because the cross always pops, the, 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 the um, splinters of the cross always pop our bubble, don't they? The bubble of pride. The, bu- the bubble of exalting ourselves and saying, aren't we wonderful, aren't we the greatest gift to the world? So the cross, the splinters of the cross pop that bubble time and time again. But those that glory in Jesus and the cross, they cherish the cross above all things. That's where I think Paul would want me to stop. This is where I think Jesus would want me to stop as we come to the end of Galatians. By once again reminding you and imploring you with all of of my heart to lift up your eyes again to the cross of Jesus and reflect on what the cross of Jesus has done for you. We are not saved because we are perfect. We don't earn God's approval. We don't have peace with God because of anything we've done. They are free gifts purchased for us on the cross because of what Jesus did, and so our works count for nothing. You've heard me say that. This is the gospel. Therefore, I want to urge you to come to the cross. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I want to urge you to come to the cross and find (coughs) peace and find grace and find forgiveness. I want to urge you. That's the way to freedom in your life. If you do know Jesus and the cross has somehow become a little bit out of focus for you, a little bit in the background, and other forms, things that are around the periphery of the Christian life, have become more important to you than the cross of Jesus, I want to implore you this morning to come back to the simplicity of the cross. It is all about Christ. It is all about what He's done. It's all about what He's bought for us. It is as simple as that, and our hearts once again have to fall in love with the cross the old rugged cross. That's the basis of my prayer. It's the basis of your prayer. It's the assurance of God's love for you. It's the assurance of God's love for me. It's the certainty of forgiveness for me. It's the certainty of forgiveness for you. It's the ground of every hope that I have for the future, the cross. It's the ground of every hope that you have for the future, the cross. It's the peace that you can gain in the midnight hours when you cannot sleep because you're worried. Go back to the cross. Same peace for me. It's life to us, morning by morning, day by day. The cross of Jesus. I'm trying to remind you and call you back as God's people, God's community, to the cross of Jesus. Let it be the thing that we boast in more, the only thing that we boast in, the cross of Jesus.